I think that like if you're talking to a 55 year old man or woman, they're like, I've heard that like 15 times in the last, you know, so it doesn't mean it doesn't work. Um, I think there's a way to phrase it that's a bit different. Welcome to the Troy Curtis Podcast. We talk all things real estate, business, and entrepreneurship. Today, I've got an awesome guest, some somebody who talks about probably the highest paid, most underpromoted uh, business out there, which is sales. And welcome to the show, Eric Fisher. Hi, how you doing? Good, man. Uh, I'm excited to have you. Uh, one of the things that people don't understand is like sales makes the world go round. Uh, as I told you, my background's in sales. I still consider myself a sales guy more than a businessman sometimes. You know, the, the two overlap. Tell me about your story, where you're at right now, what you're doing, and uh, about your program. Sure. Uh, well, well, pleased to speak with you. Um, so, and I agree with you, by the way, you know, business is sales, right? With no sales, you got no business. So. Yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm from a small town in uh, Northern Illinois. Um, I'm based out of a, a kind of a far Northwest suburb of Chicago, uh, married with two kids. Um, and I kind of, you know, fell into sales, like a lot of people um, really right out of right out of high school. Um, my parents were both educators. We had a, you know, normal, like middle-class family, but my parents were rather strict and they, you know, there's like, I remember, you know, I grew up in the Jordan era. Like I never got a pair of Jordans because my parents were like, one, they were pretty frugal with their money, but two probably couldn't afford to buy me a pair of Jordans. And some of that stuff stuck with me. Um, and I always was like, I want to make a lot of money. Um, (laughs) now, now as you get older, you realize you can have a lot of money and still have problems, right? It definitely doesn't solve your problems, but with, but with, but with no money, you have more problems. Um, so, so I did a bunch of things like from, you know, Cutco knife sales. I, I did telemarketing when I was through college, I sold suits, uh, for a department store. And I was kind of like, I wasn't naturally gifted at them, but I, I worked really hard at them and, and kind of built through like the toughness, you know, to like deal with the resistance you experience. Um, and then right out of college, um, I worked for uh, a large bank, uh, selling mortgages and I sold mortgages for three years, uh, two and a half, three years, um, up to the point of like working through the financial recession of, of 2008, which obviously was largely, you know, happened because of the mortgage industry, um, decided to, to part ways from that, that business for a variety of reasons, not, I was actually still succeeding. I just didn't really like a lot of the lending practices and things like that, but I had a really good mentor at the time who, um, was only a couple of years older than me, but he was making a significant amount of income. And I just saw like really good fundamentals. And that allowed me to carry like those fundamentals through, um, I left the, the mortgage industry and went to, um, a software company. And that company was going through a lot of change. I had never sold software before, so it was very different. Um, and it just really wasn't the right fit for me for what I was looking to do. They kind of wanted me to do, I was hired on to be an account executive and do full cycle sales. They kind of moved me into an SDR inside sales job, which was much, they cut my income, my, my salary. Um, and I was like, this, this isn't for me. So I had a friend who uh, introduced me to the company that I work for now, which is a, a very large um, IT staffing company, as well as a, a large IT uh, services company. And uh, he always told me about the culture being great. Uh, they hired a lot of young people, but the, there's a lot of people at the company that I, I've been working at now for, for 15 years and here in a couple of weeks that have been here for 25, 30 years. And you don't find that a lot of places. 
I feel very fortunate because it's rare that you can find a company that has the culture we have, um, the camaraderie we have, um, and with the amount of veterans we have in the industry that have gone through multiple economic cycles and know how to navigate this. Plus plus our company, we have, we're we're privately held and and we're, we're very large um, and and we're very, uh, we we don't have any debt. We'll just leave it that way. There's so So, much mystique built around this company. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the reason I mentioned those things is that's provided me an opportunity to really change my life um, around, um, you know, when I was working for, for Wells Fargo, which is the bank I work for, um, I actually started making a significant amount of money, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in my um, early 20s, but I spent all of it. I spent all of it. I was living downtown Chicago, was, in, was acting like an idiot, just not very mature. And so I kind of was starting from square one when I started for the company I'm at now. And Did you blow it on anything good, Eric? Did you like no, buy anything? Like, or are you uh, just like no. party? Unfortunately, I think I peed most of it out. <laughs> so That'll do it uh, yeah, in your 20s for sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was just, you know, young and stupid and having a good time. But, you know, you, you learn your lesson. And so I kind of was starting from square one and had to cut my teeth on a lot of, you know, breaking into new accounts and things like that to earn the opportunity to sell some of the, the large Fortune 100 companies that I sell to now. Um, that are very complex, um, very political, uh, very bureaucratic, a lot of very, you know, multiple levels of leadership. And, you know, that's provided me the opportunity for really for about 10 years to double my income every single year for almost 10 years straight. And um, yeah, Um, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, well, you have to have a good company, you know, like, I think sometimes people join companies, and they walk in, and they're like, unsatisfied with their earnings. And it's like, well, you got to understand what the comp potential is. And and the company I work for has that. Um, We also have good structure, etc. So, you know, that, that, that process, um, what I, what I've learned from all that, you know, not only did it change my life financially, but it really what everybody's after is financial freedom and giving them the options where I don't have to worry. I can easily put, you know, I've already taken care of my daughter's college. My son has a disability, but I plan on him going to college. And so I've already saved for their college almost entirely. And I'm 41 years old. Um, you know, pay off houses. Like, so I don't have a lot of debt. Um, and that provides me just a level of clear headed thinking that when times get tough, I don't think right in front of me, I think kind of like miles down the road, if you will. Um, so that I don't make emotional decisions, which I think a lot of salespeople struggle with because they're kind of in the suck and it's a really hard thing to do. So, um, yeah, I've won every award you can win in my company you know, uh, multiple times. And, um, you know, I think that a combination of teamwork, good leadership, and, uh, you know, a, I've studied sales a lot. I've read all the books. I think the thing that I've realized most that might be interesting for your listeners is like, we have really good training at my company. Um, the thing that I noticed though, selling to a lot of these big corporations, and I think this exists at every level and this probably, you notice this with real estate as well. Um, everybody's heard it before. Like, I don't care if you're selling to a consumer, or you're selling to a large enterprise, the language that everybody's using, whether it's in their outbound prospecting or the marketing material or the questions they're asking, everybody's literally saying the same exact thing. Right. Yeah. And so it naturally builds up a lot of resistance with the prospect or the buyer you're talking to. And, and, and for a lot of salespeople, especially in like the IT sector and really all sales, 
a lot of the times when you're selling a B2B uh, product or, or service, the people you're selling to in a lot of cases until you've been at the company for a while, a lot of times they're older than you are. And because they're older, they're more experienced. So they've got more cycles under their belt than a lot of the sales reps do. So yeah, that for sure. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Like I remember walking in as, you know, uh, an account executive for Intercom Radio and I'm selling to these general managers who work their way up from the company. Uh, and, well, you know, and I don't know anything about, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm brand new. So I totally understand what you're talking about. Yeah. So that kind of led me down. Um, and, and there's there's a couple people that are sales coaches uh, that that have leaned into this a bit, which I think is great, which is the buyer psychology side and like behavioral science side to sales. And there's been some books written on it. And I'm not necessarily talking about like NLP, uh, neuro-linguistic programming right. type of stuff. But really, you know, a lot of salespeople have probably heard frames, right? How to pre-frame something you say. There's a lot of frames you can use for statements, for questions, providing context. Um, and, and really what I'm always focused on is asking really tough questions, bringing insightful information and intelligence to the table to teach my customer something, but doing it in a way where the conversation feels very neutral, where a lot of times like, you know, like in the challenger sale approach, it's like you teach them something, get them to think differently, which I think is important. But if you do that in the wrong way, you're going to put the customer on the defensive. Yeah, I agree. I believe. I believe good because sales is just a communication sport, right? I believe that evening the playing ground where you and the prospect or you and the customer are even, and you can just have a very natural conversation where you drop their guard down. You say things like, you've probably heard this question before, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is that okay? And you yeah. kind of get them to chuckle. Yeah. Okay. Here's the reason why I'm going to ask the following thing to give them some context or when you're doing a demo, Hey, do you mind if I ask what you want to get out of this meeting? Because the last thing I want to do is go through a bunch of things that really aren't that important to you and bore you to death on this demo. Um, and simple things, I mean, I've got some frameworks for that. That's really helped me um, succeed. And so about th four years ago, I decided to open up uh, my own business while I'm still working. And I'm like, you know, I think I can teach people and help people to, to do some of the same things I've done and see some of the same success. I started a company at the time it was called the uh, intelligent uh, intelligent sales Academy. Um, now it's called elevate sales Academy kind of learned my entrepreneur, cut my teeth in entrepreneurship a bit, um, which has been way harder than I thought it would ever be. Um, well, yeah. At least you're honest. It's really hard. It's really hard. Um, like it is not, I mean, I think from, I, people ask me like, would you do this again? Cause I wrote a book on sales and I'm like, Did I you would write never a couple write books, Eric? just one. I wrote the intelligence factor. Okay. Um, yeah. So that I wrote that about two and a half, three years ago. Um, I hated the process, but I learned yeah. a lot. I hate the book, to be honest. Like people are like, you know, hey, let me get a copy of your book. And I'm like, I really don't like it because I had a publisher, but I kind of felt like I lost myself in the message I was trying to deliver. But, you know, I got it done. But I, I started this business and it's specifically B2B coaching for B2B sales reps. So it's not people selling solar. It's not people selling real estate. It's not people selling mortgages. While some of the things can be replicated, my audience of other really specifically tech sales professionals that are selling a SaaS product specifically or some other B2B product. I do not train people that are competitors of the company I work for, obviously. Um, and they, it resonates with them because everything they're experiencing, I experience it every single day. 
So just for those people who don't know what SaaS stands sure. for, can you break that down? Sure. Yeah. So it's just software sales, right? So um, it could be software sales. We have people in the program that are, that sell hardware, say like hardware, IT hardware. Um, but um, SaaS software is just software that's hosted in the cloud. Right. So that's become such a big thing lately. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I was just talking to my wife actually about this the other day and I was like, Name me one business that you feel like is the most profitable. Like if I was ever going to start something else, she's like software. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I mean, there's, and I've got so many ideas that I've thought of, of like, man, I would really love to launch this app. And I know that like, if I did this app, I would hit a home freaking run. But, you know, yeah. I know the journey of the entrepreneurship and it's like, man, I got enough crap going on right now. Do I want to? try to do that as well. Um, you know, going, going into sales and like techniques and stuff, I think it's really important to, to talk about some of those techniques because you mentioned it very, just a second ago is like you, you frame things. And, and honestly, I, I don't know if I've heard that too much. I, I come from a, um, from a, you know, I've been through several sales training courses um, maybe it's something, you know, obviously they talked about, but one of the things, you know, like I, I consistently use feel, felt, found. I consistently mm -hmm. use things like uh, alternative closes. You know, I consistently use, um, you know, like some of the Tom Hopkins methods, some of the um, methods from Roger Dawson, the power of negotiation. And so mm -hmm. what, what strategies and techniques do you use and for what reasons do you use that? Well, so good question. So the, the, the honest answer is I use them all, um, you know, like feel felt found like what well, that was Fred factor, right? Might be. The, yeah. I think it was the Fred factor, but anyway, so I learned that like when I started at this company, I'd never heard it before. So 15 years ago. So I just think there's nothing wrong with it. I just think, you know, Hey, if you're handling an objection, a lot of our customers felt the same way, but yeah. you know, Blah, blah, blah. So I think that like, if you're talking to a 55 year old man or woman, they're like, I've heard that like 15 times in the last, you know, so it doesn't mean it doesn't work. Um, I think there's a way to phrase it. That's a bit different. So like when people ask me, like, like when I do sales, like discovery calls for my coaching business, they'll say, well, what do you think about Sandler sales? Or what do you think about neat selling? Or what do you think about the challenger sale? And I'm like, they all work all of them. So I use a combination of all those things. Um, I am like an information dumpster in terms of like, I just want to collect as much information. I think it's the execution of those frameworks because, you know, like if you look at Sandler sales versus solution selling, like it's all the same stuff. Like people, what they do is they just remarket the same information in a different, different, you know, spin selling. They're all right. roughly the same, you know, like uh, yeah. I was teaching uh, when I, a good example of this in, in terms of um, like the number one problem most B2B sellers have, and I would say all salespeople have, is there's this topic of lead generation. So if you work for a company, like I don't get fed leads, I have to go out on LinkedIn, look at the company, make a list, right? Now there's AI tools that you can use to do this for you. You get the list, but then you have to go to your research so you show up differently than all your competitors so you can personalize your message. Right. Well, so, so that's probably like, look, can you dive deep in that? Because I think that that is the most important part of sales, which is relating. And people mm -hmm. like, they like you if you did your homework and you discovered who mm -hmm. they are, right? 
right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So I think that if poor sales reps or bad sales reps treat all their prospects the same. Yes. Um, and great sales reps show up with not only an opinion, but an observation and they can illuminate a problem that they either know about the person, they know about the industry, or they can decipher, Hey, based on the persona, like the job title you're in, in the industry, and you may have this problem. And this is what we're hearing from other customers. That's what led not to put them on the defensive, but to definitely, uh, clarify something that you're trying to see if it's a, an issue for them that they're dealing with right now. Right. And so, you know, and there's lots of really good sales, like guys that just focus on outbound messaging. Um, but one thing that we all agree on is, Hey, I don't know if this is a problem for you or not. If you don't know now, if you're using like a, a below the line, meaning below the power line above the power line would be a decision maker. That's got economic power that can, you know, get budget, move budget, get funding below the power line would be, tactical managers, individual contributors, users, you take that information and then now you can say, I know you have this problem and you teach them something about what's happening in their organization because sometimes they're disconnected, but sometimes that's not possible. Maybe you're not getting anybody to respond. That's where you have to take a persona or industry-based approach of, this is what's happening in the industry. This is what I know about ag tech. This is what I know about the SaaS industry. This is what I know about companies that are a SaaS company that just got their Series B funding round. These are the biggest challenges of sales leaders, or these are the biggest challenges of VPs of IT in this industry is 90% of your funding goes to product development, leaving your sales team with no structure, no support, no tools. And guess what happens? When you don't have that, your pipeline dries up and you may not be there now, but at some juncture, you may be in a situation where your business's revenue started to trend down. And the number one way to solve that is through an effective outbound pipeline strategy. So that's the stuff that lands. Um, I think that the other point I would make on this is that a lot of sales reps get frustrated when they're like, this isn't working. And it's like, you haven't given it enough time. Like the current data from some of the um, AI sales enablement tools suggests 12 to 18 attempted contacts on one prospect just to book a meeting a lot of attempted contacts. So it's really easy if you're like making 60 grand a year or 80 grand a year and you're living in New York City to realize like, shit, this might take three months. Yeah. I had heard, you know, seven to 10 before, but yep. I mean, more is better. I mean, the consistency or cons what do they say? Persistence breaks down resistance, right? Yeah. I think the problem now is that a lot of people aren't very, so if you look at the world, um, and everything is perspective. Um, I listen to all the sales leaders, sales coaches. I join every webinar I can just to learn all the time because they're, I don't know everything, um, okay. obviously. And, you know, like I was on a training the other day and the guy was talking about voicemail techniques. And he said, don't ever leave your number. Every company has voice over IP now. So if I, if I call you, Troy, I don't have to leave my number because if you're at a business or if I call your cell phone, my number is going to show up. And why am I wasting that time? Because chances are with voice over IP or even a cell phone, the message gets transcribed into text. It's almost like what you want to leave is like the subject line to an email. Well, that may be true, but I also have a lot of customers that only use Microsoft Teams for audio, uh, like for their phones. Well, I know for a fact, because their current customers, they don't get a transcription of my message. So 
that that strategy doesn't necessarily apply to enterprise customers. Yeah, right? I, I don't like that strategy. I think that's a silly strategy. <laughs> As, uh, and just because, just for me, I'm thinking like, that's an assumption, right? Like, but what if it, 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 what if that not leaving the number cost the sale because they couldn't get a hold of it with you and they didn't want to go the extra mile to look you up or do or pull you off the phone or whatever? It's like, yeah, I totally. When you said that, I was like, uh, I don't agree. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and the point I was going to make is that you have to test a lot of different strategies. There right. is no one silver bullet, and I think a lot of strategies and techniques. Um, that are very prescriptive don't apply to everybody. Um, and so it's the salesperson's job, one, to inform themselves, two, to test different methods and test them for a long enough period of time, and three, collect the data to stop making emotional decisions and use data-driven decisions to say, is this working or is this not? Now, you would know that as an entrepreneur, yeah. but a lot of sales reps are not data people, right? They're not data junkies. They don't really want to look at the data and say, what is the data telling me? Um but I think the world's changed with AI and things like that. The number one sales, like, and I'm focusing a lot on prospecting because I think most sales reps have this problem, is they don't know how to prospect and they have a, a pipeline problem. And what's changed is that with AI, the amount of cold email that is going out that's just pure junk from AI tools is flooding the inboxes of the prospects that people we want to get in front of. And so you really don't need to do as much research and get stuck in paralysis by analysis as you think just to stand out. Um, but if you're well-researched on an industry, you know, your target um, ideal customer, you know, the personas, the people, the job titles you're going after, and you know, the problems that they typically have generally that's enough to have a really compelling message and then build out a cadence of messages over the course of let's say 30 to 45 days before you take a break and move on to the next prospect. Yeah, and I, uh, and I, agree, I agree with you 100%. Um, I, I have a question, and it's probably sure. something that you're, you faced uh, through your uh, your training academy, at the Elevate Training Academy. Um, I certainly am dealing with it on a daily, but we we run um, we run paid ads uh, on like TikTok and on Facebook, and for a coaching program that I have, and we have a, a, a large portion of them will no show, right? Like it's just an industry standard. The people will be like, they see a shiny object. It's like, oh yeah, I do want to invest in real estate. Yes, I want to. Uh, so we make them go through a, uh, you know, basically yeah. what's called a high intent sales funnel, right? Where mm -hmm. the high intent sales funnel makes them fill out an application, makes them check how much money they have uh, to invest. And if they don't meet certain criteria, they're automatically rejected. And then, but if they do, meet certain criteria, we'll unveil the calendar to them. They'll then book a call with our sales team. And one thing that we have noticed is that there's just a big no-show rate. So obviously you build in all the AIs with the reminders and the calendars and you try other things. One thing that we've tried, we're trying to automate is we, you know, I'll, I'll go and I'll get with the staff and I'll say, hey, give me your five names and I'll just record a quick video real quick and that'll help them not ghost us. But I'm interested in terms of, how you see, what do you think is a better way to get people to show up, um, you know, just for, for this types of types of businesses that are online digital marketing type of businesses? Mm -hmm. And um, have you noticed the same thing? You know, when I went 100% organic, we had lots of shows, but when we went paid advertising, we saw that the, you know, the reach was, you know, obviously less people 
And then it just, it, the show rate has, has been something we've struggled with. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I mean, I think what you said, this last, the last point organic, you have a high show rate paid ads, you have a low show rate. Um, I experienced the same thing. In fact, I've got my ads turned off right now because uh, I'm making some changes to our um, acquisition model. But you know, you're probably running a VSL, a direct video sales letter. I've got you've got an application process. I do the same thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So when you're running paid ads, they're cold traffic, right? So they don't know you. They don't trust you. Um, they're also getting, uh, you know, the, the types of people that click on those ads are clicking on 15 other ads, and then yeah. they're signing up for stuff. So they're getting like you know, maybe 30 calendar reminders uh, to show up for things. At the, and and typically yeah. those people, they're just not that serious. So organic people already trust you. They're following you for a period of time. And so technically that sales cycle is already longer than if you were to actually look at, you know, use like a Hyros data tool. You could see, you we know what, they a, actually, we actually do use Hyros. Um, yeah. Not, not by mine, but I have partnered with a third party guy to build my thing out. He And he does use Hyros. So for those people who don't know what the hell Hyros is, because I think that's very high level can you break it down for our listeners yeah i mean i'll give you my dumb dumb down version <laughs> um i mean it's, it's better than my smart version yeah so i mean my understanding of it is it's basically uh, a data integration tool where um you can uh it basically plugs into all of your uh social media sources your funnels um and so when you for paid ads for example it will not only calculate your ROI, your leads and your sales, but it'll also calculate, you can see um, at a, a longer level where people are coming into your sales pipeline. So for example, if someone um, started, they, they clicked a lead magnet on an organic post on Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, whatever, that will get tracked by Hyros. Now they may not actually book a call for six to nine months. And if they don't book a call for six to nine months, you may be thinking that your ad that was just a cold ad, not a retargeted ad, is what attributed to the sale. When really what you find out over maybe a course of six months is really my organic content is what's driving all my sales and it's retargeting ads, which are just pushing them over the line. Um, so I think right. it, it's so really- retargeting it's, for people who don't know is just where like basically you've got that cookie now, uh, in your on your IP address, and our ads now can track you and advertise where you go, what you look at, what you see. You're like, oh man, you're going to Amazon and you shop for a freaking, um, you know, a speaker. Uh, and next thing you know, that speaker's following you around everywhere you're shopping and advertising to you. So that is the retargeting approach, which is super cool because as you think about, it, like I said, where I started in sales. There was no such thing. I mean, the 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 funniest thing about my journey, Eric, was we sold in radio. You sell an untrackable product, an untrackable result, and you you know if it's good, if their sales goes up, the product worked. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. and because you can't track it, right? And that and now yeah. coming coming on the other side of that, um, going man, I've got. I could go super low budget on these advertising platforms now, these social medias. I could go super low budget, reach a ton of people, and I could track everything, right? I can see what's working, what's not working. I can, you know, build these tools in that are going to help it work. And right. it's like, when you look at that, it's like, man, you can just put your thumb on that lever of, you know, even though, yeah. like, I'm with you, like, the cold traffic, you definitely have to just, you know, sh it's a sheer numbers game because you got you to gotta allow for fallout. You got to allow for no-shows. 
You got to allow for, you know, bringing in an inside guy just to book people, make sure they're showing up on the calendar. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. Well, that was, the, that was the big challenge. And the other thing Hyros does for people that are interested in using it, um, it, it pushes data to Facebook. So what happens is, is that a lot of times data to, uh, like Facebook or TikTok or even LinkedIn, it doesn't know what to do with the data. It doesn't push the right data through. So if you go in and you do have to manage, manage the tool and delete leads that are not accurate, like if it's not your target customer, delete those, but it'll push data back so that your targeting improves, which does make a huge difference. Like when I implemented Hyros, my um, like number of booked calls I was getting almost like quadrupled um, because it started pushing the right data through. Um, on the no-shows though, um, I, I noticed, I think a the entire high ticket online space has seen a, a drastic increase in no-shows to calls. Um, like you said, the number one thing you can do, so I don't see no-shows in my corporate job at all. And the reason is, is because the booking process is manual, right? So if I reach out to you via email, I say, hey, are you interested in this? I'm now actively engaging with you email or I get on the phone with you say I cold call you, you'll say, yes, I'll take a meeting. While I'm on that call, I'm going to send you the invite. And then I'm going to say, hey, have you, can you accept that for me while we're on the call? Hey, can you do me a favor? If something comes up, can, here's my phone number. Can you just call me and let me know or shoot me a text so I know just because I'm very busy and I have back-to-back -back meetings and I could replace that time with somebody else. Um, due to the law of reciprocity and just overall, like people are, your show rate will increase and you're not going to see as many backouts because people are also going to just feel bad. At a bare minimum, they'll communicate with you. The worst, the worst no shows are the ones where they don't say anything, they ignore you. Um, you know, they're they're literally they book a call with you and you're texting them through. You know, I use Go High Level and they literally don't even respond to that. And it's like, why'd you even book a time? You know, man. So you, you know, I I love. I'm gonna I'm gonna I want to take a freaking left turn right now because you just mentioned uh, three magic words. When I sold advertising, we did not have a CRM, right? And so my as a real estate sales guy, I became you know, the top guy in Vegas by targeting uh, financial institutions during the REO crisis and using my sales skills to land like 40 accounts. And so, um, you know, as that process went over, I realized, man, I'm, and, I, and I was the number one guy in 2011. I sold like 2,200 homes in a short period of time. And, wow. and I was like, I could have done way more if I had my data in a spot and I was marketing. So since 2012 and on, I've had a CRM and actively used it, but I've stuck with one that didn't work. And I've tried all these other ones, you know, through this um, system of going digital, I find go high level just recently. And I'm going, that's why I'm familiar with the word SAS and everything like that. And I wouldn't have been before, but I go, what a game changer that product is. Do, are, do you use that with your corporate job too? No, we use Salesforce, which is the kind of which the standard. Which one do you think is better? Um, I think Salesforce is better for enterprise. I think Go High Level is great for um, like medium-sized businesses, small and medium-sized businesses. Salesforce does more than what Go High Level does. Uh, it doesn't, but the 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 plugins for enterprise level accounts is better. Um, the UI so. The challenge with Go High Level, I think, oftentimes, one, their marketing budgets aren't as deep. I, You probably will recognize this, and other people that I know use Go High Level say this. It's When you look at the UI, it's like looking at Craigslist. It's it's an awful UI. It does not look pretty. 
um, even if you white label it, but the functionality is really, really good. Um, now, Salesforce does allow you to like it. So you got to understand an enterprise, you're not building funnels and things like that. Like a marketing department handles that. I don't touch any of that stuff. Um, you're not hosting your websites on that. You might host your website, you know, that, you know, the websites that we're building are massive, you know, take millions and millions of dollars to build these websites. Um, for, I think, a small and medium-sized business owner, the benefits of Go High Level are all your funnels can be there. All your email marketing can be there. You can text people on the platform. I mean, there's it's just, it's everything. I don't love the actual CRM functionality of it. I think it's kind of clunky. Um, however, I think that it's like an all-in-one tool. Like it, I mean, I probably cut a thousand dollars out of my expenses just removing softwares I didn't need. But when I moved over to go, yeah, same, same here, man. Like you had everything with Zapier, you got this one, that one, the other one, and you're like, holy crap, this thing does it all. And and yeah, um, yeah, I, I'm a hundred percent sold. In fact, I was supposed to be at their mastermind last week, and yeah. uh, I threw up my back, and uh, I didn't oh, no. go. But yeah, I, I really am sold on the product, and it's not very. It, they didn't have to do a hell of a job. Nobody talked to me about it. Nobody. Did, I mean, the product sold itself, right? Yeah, it's it's pretty neat. I mean, I I, I like it. Um, there's some things I'm still trying to figure out with it, to be honest, like looking at oh, pipelines yeah. and revenue. But yeah, it's a good tool. Um, for you anybody, know, I that did is, a podcast, Eric. I did a podcast uh, with the number one high, go high level affiliate guy in the nation. He's a 26 year old kid, sales guy, right? Uh, 26 year old kid who's um, pulling. Six figures, high six figures, well, high 100 six figures uh, per month as a SaaS uh, affiliate for Go High Level. Wow. Just That's incredible. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Hey, if you're listening to this podcast right now, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you give us a five-star review. And we have got content all over the place, TikTok, Instagram, you name it. But we also have a coaching program. If you are looking for a coach, we have the Millionaire Mentorship. And this is a coaching program where I actually help you get your first investment property within the first 90 days or I'll pay you $1,000 cash. That's how confident I am to get you that type of result. And I know you might be here and you might be listening. You might be scared. You might not want to take action, but that is not going to get you where you want to be. And obviously, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you want to take action and you're trying to gather the information, but maybe you're confused. Maybe you're just like a lot of people that I've talked to, you're scared of losing money, you wanna become financially free, but you don't know where to start. And that's exactly what I help you to do in this program. So do yourself a favor, book a call with me and my team and let's get the ball rolling. The link is in the description and we'll put it in the video right here, right now. Thanks, hope you enjoy the show. And you know, on the topic, I think you already covered this just in case anybody didn't hear what you said. Um, if you are using paid ads, um, and even if you're not, uh, and you're doing like some type of DM funnel strategy where people are clicking on a lead magnet or a freebie or some sort to pull them in and then you get into a DM conversation with them. Um, and again, this whole side of that business, I, I didn't know any of this like four or five years ago because it's so different than enterprise sales world. Um, yeah. But the number one thing you can do is keep them on the phone. So if it's a cold lead and it comes through and they book a call, well, number one, there's two processes. One, when a lead comes through and they don't opt in, immediately you got to have a setter call. That was the biggest change I made in my business. It made a significant difference. My book call rate increased by 70% because a lot of people opt in Let's be honest, when people opt into online paid ads, a lot of times, like 90% of the time, they're probably sitting on the toilet. I'm <laughs> just being honest. 
right? Yeah. That's just well, the fact I, that, that, that would be that would be fun to know, like how many people are sitting on the toilet when they opt yeah. to pay ads, right? Like, well, anyway, I, I I think about things like this, like not the 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 bathroom part, but it's like what goes through someone's mind. They're probably surfing the web, they're sitting on the toilet, and then they're like, oh, I'm going to click on this thing, and then what do they do? Oh, time, I'm done. They go wash their hands. They close their phone. So, so you, so you have a setter that immediately once that happens, boom, he calls them um, and once, says. Once, so once the lead comes through, because I was noticing I was getting a lot of leads, but they weren't converting to book calls. And so he would call them and immediately book calls. Like, I mean, in the first week of him onboarding, I think he booked 20 calls for me just off leads that were coming through who had not booked the call. Then on the other side of the equation is when people do book a call, he immediately calls them and makes sure that they actually accept the calendar invite because you can see when they accept it, right? Um, and those two changes made a significant difference in show rate. Nice. I like that. Um, yeah, we pushed um, on, on, on the thing with me is we actually outsourced our sales um, to our funnel company, our, our marketing company. And that's- Who, who are you using? We're using, he's actually going to be speaking about the mastermind. We're using a guy named Video Growth Systems. And, okay. uh, and uh, you know, they've done, a, they've done a decent job. Um, you know, I'm still on the fence if, if I'm going to uh, roll 100% because I am, like, I believe a really good sales guy. But I believe, you know, he's got the processes and systems, which we, you know, we agreed, hey, let's try out the sales on this side. We'll see how it works. You know, most of the sales reps are people that I've handpicked on there right now. So kind of I'm still involved. So at some point in time, I may switch that um, up. I don't know yet, but it's something that we're learning as we're going. And I think that, you know, if you have somebody who's willing to take that journey with you um, and that they can get better and you can get better. But yeah, there's definitely, you know, the first call that I had with somebody when I encountered that problem in the beginning was they said the word setter. And so I think that because you can push the, the, you can make it go so fast with the internet that if you're going to spend ad money, you know, I remember when we first spent our first like 50 bucks a day or something on TikTok, I was having 15 applicants every day. And I'm like, whoa, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's raining freaking appointments. I don't know what that's going to mean. And then, then my sales guy's there and uh, he's like, I'm ready. And then we just have like, he's like, no show, no show, no show, no show, no show. I'm like, oh man. And so, you know, we have continually combated that. Um, we'll see. We've done a bunch of things. Like we did a, a cool thing that I'll mention, and I don't know if it's hundred percent rolled out yet, but there's a, there's a software called be human. And what we Heard did is, yeah. So what we did is, cause I told you the video works really well. If the sales reps Reach out to me and say, Troy, I need videos on this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. I'll do like a, hey, this is Troy, Michael, you know, blah, blah, blah. It takes me a couple minutes. I don't mind doing it. And then they would send it out from their phone and that would just reduce. Love that. Yeah. Re reduce. Uh, if they're going to ghost us, they're going to say, I'm going to ghost you. Don't worry about it. If they're going to be there or they were thinking about not being there, they're going to say, I'm going to be there. So at least we know and the, the guy's not sitting here behind his computer waiting for someone to show up. And so... I was like, you need to figure out a way that we could do this with like just a video. I don't care if it says their name, just like automatically. Well, Be Human will actually use AI to put, like you say, hey, name, and rather than their name, and it'll put that name in there. So we're, we're working on that to try to, mm -hmm. to make that a, a part of our sales process as well.
Yeah, that's a smart move. There's a couple different tools that do that right now. Uh, and they're actually rolling these tools out um, in, um, you know, in the SaaS, you know, tech sales, IT services, uh, sales industry now doing exactly that because, I mean, look, you got to like just do these little small differentiators, right? That little extra personalized touch makes a huge, huge difference. I mean, I'm a big proponent if you can uh, using video and, and prospecting, if you're doing yeah. you know, manual, organic prospecting. Um yeah, I have a challenge that's a bit unique for for this business that I have, and that's that, um, you know, I can't, uh, most of my, and I don't even like calling them competitors because in the sales community, I feel like everybody can just help each other out. And I feel like everybody's got good information. Um, but most of the B2B sales coaches, you know, they kind of, they're not doing what I did, right? Like they probably had, you know, like there's a couple of guys that had 10 years, good runs, and then they're probably their wife works or their, their husband works. And then they quit their thing because they've got insurance and they go do the coaching. Um, I am the, you know, my wife works part-time, um, but, you know, I, I, I could retire if I wanted to, but I don't know if I'd hit my goals. And so I don't plan to do that because I make a great income doing what I'm doing, but I can't change my persona on LinkedIn like these sales coaches can. So where most of their lead generation comes is from long form uh, value-based content on LinkedIn. But I can't do that because I sell to CIOs, VPs of IT, chief data officers, chief information security officers at Fortune 500 companies. I can't be Eric the sales guy, right? I have to be Eric the guy that knows about all these different um, IT priorities, et cetera. So the challenge I've always had with, with paid ads is that all everybody's on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. The problem that we run into is that most of social media paid traffic that works really well is like the get money, get rich quick, you know, make money fast, real estate, affiliate marketing, um, you know, the laptop lifestyle stuff that that converts really well on social media because it just does like, but if you look at like an Instagram or a TikTok and you look at other B2B sales coaches, their organic followers are very low, very low. Um, if you go look about, look at them on LinkedIn, they might have 200,000 followers or a million followers. So I you can't know, I have, really, I have left, can't, that I have, makes sense. Yeah. I've left LinkedIn behind since I, yeah. since, since I quit my, uh, corporate job in 2005 and I was just thinking about it the other day because we're trying to hire some people I'm like is that the new place to hire people or what is LinkedIn these days like what is it it's a prospecting tool it seems like or it's a place to go find like a bunch of resumes right um I mean I use it so in, in b2b sales that's the number one tool is LinkedIn by by far um okay you know link LinkedIn is owned by Microsoft now um oh, LinkedIn was yeah, they bought it. Originally, that guy Reed, right? Or uh, what's the, um, I forget the original founder, but it's owned Reed by Microsoft. something. Reed Hoffman or Reed Hoffer. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a Microsoft-owned company now. Um, I don't love the paid traffic on it because it's very. Um, I've run paid ads to like a business page account. Uh, it's a lot of bots hit your ads, and so it's just all fake. But LinkedIn's a, an animal. I think it's better for. So my company on our talent services side of the business, the one that I work for, uh, we, we, we not scrape data, but we integrate with LinkedIn to uh, see who's open for work and stuff like that on the recruiting side of our business. Um, the problem was that LinkedIn was initially developed as a career site where you could job seekers could go there to find jobs and job 
uh, employers could go find candidates. What it's turned into is a free for all of a bunch of very bad prospecting on LinkedIn, filling people's inboxes or in-mails with a bunch of vanilla content and prospecting where everybody's treated the same. Um, and people just get hounded. So if you look at like the enterprise level, your chances of getting a prospect to respond on LinkedIn is very low. So how do you use LinkedIn successfully these days? Because I, I, I haven't paid much attention to it. Um, you know, I think I just updated my uh, bio the other day just because I was like, somebody was nagging me. They're like, you got to get on LinkedIn. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's good to be on LinkedIn because it truly is the premier B2B platform. Um, the way I teach people to use it uh, and the way that I use it is if I'm trying to connect with you and you don't know me, um, I will, it's LinkedIn is a part of my outbound prospecting process. And that's the big problem is like people, I'm like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm cold calling and I'm doing LinkedIn. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Calling, emailing, email with video, LinkedIn, all of that needs to be part of your strategy. And so it's all part of your cadence for how you're reaching out to people that are your targets that you're going after. So the way that I teach it is I might email you and then at the same time, right after that, I'm in, let's, I send the email off. I'm going to send you a blank connection request, no message. The data shows that like sending a message in your connection request, totally use, useless. So I send you a blank connection request. If you accept it, so now you've seen the LinkedIn uh, connection request. You've also seen my email and I'll also probably call you that same day. If you accept my LinkedIn request, I will send you an audio message, not a text message. And I'll say, hey, Troy, it's Eric. Just want to put a voice to the name. Really appreciate connecting with you. Thanks. So now I've gotten in front of you four times. So then let's say three to four days later, I reach out to you again. I call you. Don't answer. I leave you a voicemail. Hey, it's just Eric, 773-504, blah, blah, blah. Hey, it's Eric. I'm going to give my, my name and number. Maybe my company. I mix that up. I don't give a reason for my call ever because all I'm trying to do is get the call back. I'll then email him with maybe a bump email, which is a follow-up email that I can usually automate those. Or I've got like a template where it's persona and industry specific, where I'm either sharing social proof, a third-party uh, article, a white paper, something that's value-based. Then I'll hit him up on LinkedIn again with another audio message or text that says, hey, just want to say I appreciate being connected with you. Um, most people like you are struggling with this problem or most companies we work with in blank industry are having these challenges. Not sure if this resonates with you all with you at all, but if it does, do you mind if I share some more information on it? That's it. I'm trying to get them off LinkedIn as fast as possible. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like even the way you're talking right now, uh, one of the guys I really like, you know, I know you're a sales guy and you study sales. Um, whenever I get a chance to find a book, you know, as you said, everybody's saying the same thing. A lot of people... Um, you know, one of the books I just read was a book called Exactly What to Say. And it's I've read that book. Yeah, Phil M. Jones. And I felt like out of all the sales books I read, that was the best one because it was just all the recipes and what the outcome should be. And it wasn't hidden with a bunch of, because we know sales is storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. and, and But there's then there's the process of sales, which is, overcoming objections, relating to your prospect, and kind of like, you know, going back and forth to get them to where you wanted to get them. Because basically, in my opinion, sales is transferring confidence in the product you're selling to your prospect of, you know, who you're selling it to, who wants it, right? And if they don't mm -hmm. believe you, they don't have the confidence in you or 
whatever you're selling, then they're not going to buy. And if they've got confidence in you and they like you and they want and they trust you, then they're going to buy from you. It's a great book. Yeah, yeah. So um, kind of wrapping things up, tell me like if you were starting brand new in sales today, because the bi biggest reason that somebody should be, number one, listening to this podcast right now is that they want to get in to the sales business. And I will tell you that it is like, in my opinion, it's what you need to get what you want in life, whether that is selling stuff or whether that's selling yourself to other people outside of the sales arena. Like whether it's selling yourself to your spouse on why you're a good catch or whether it's selling yourself to some to the car dealer about why they should take your low offer. You're, mm. you, you've got to be able to sell yourself. So it doesn't matter if like, if you're listening to this right now, you're like, well, I'm not in sales. I don't plan on being in sales. You need to understand how to sell yourself. Like that's period mm -hmm. in story. Just like as you're realizing, and I just realized you got to have an audience because the new currency is the amount of eyeballs that you're attracting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So is your question, what, which, what should yeah, people what, do what, that want to get into sales? Yeah. If you're brand new, you want to get into sales. Like what would you tell people to do? Well, before I answer that, I would say the type of people that I usually see succeed in sales um, usually fall in a couple of different categories. One, they absolutely love money and they want to have lots of it. I think that you, to be great at sales, not to be average, you have to want a lot of money. Like it's got to be important to you. And I think for some people, it's just not. And I think we're seeing that in this current generation Z, X, I forget which generation is the new ones coming out of college. I think we're on Z. Yeah. So, Let me just emphasize that that was 1000% my motivation. Sure. Yeah. Because that's, what's going to drive you. And it's not, I think there's a, um, there's a misnomer, if you will, or a misunderstanding in terms of like, if you want a lot of money, does that make you selfish? Does that make me, you materialistic? Does that make you all these things? And I don't think it does. I think that for me, I'll just tell you my personal opinion. Like, I like to have nice things. I've got some nice cars. I've got a nice house that we to go on vacations and do all the stuff, have all the things, right? Could I have more? Yeah. And the, the fact of the matter is there will always be people that have more materialistic items than you. Maybe you're a type of person that wants to have great experiences or you want to have financial security. I, I just know that after doing this for 19 years, the people that do the best and excel, they are willing to do whatever it takes ethically to hit their goals. They will stay late. They will make sacrifices. They will do things that nobody else will, is willing to do. These little nuanced things like you sending videos, those are the extra things that nobody else is doing. And that's what helps you win. And so that's number one. Number two, I think you have to be someone that is extremely competitive. So for me, I hate losing. I hate it more than anything. Um, you either Dude, I hate that. I, I, listen, I, I, I related to you with your story, I think I saw it on Instagram um, where you said that you weren't a good athlete, but you tried your fucking hardest. And that was me. Like I wasn't good and I tried my hardest and that translated to me being competitive in sales. So I really related to you on that, Eric. Yep. And that usually is a third one, which my third kind of attribute is, and you don't have to be all three. I do think you need to like money a lot. Um, yeah. But I think the third one is um, you I'll, Oftentimes, great salespeople have a chip on their shoulder, which I had. I, I had a significant, I wasn't the most popular. 
Um, I wanted to fit in. I never really felt like I fit in. I had really great parents. I have great parents. My dad passed away, but like I had great parents, but I always wanted to, I, I made a lot of mistakes when I was young and I wanted to prove to them. So that was my chip that I could be successful. It even got to the point where I was like, all right, yeah, like you make a lot of money. Like that's not what we care about, you know, but like that was what really got me through. Um, and then I would say the last thing is, is you have to be someone who is curious, really curious and curious comes, curiosity comes with a true interest in other people and other people's interests and desires. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't like everything you just said is better than I could describe it and is exactly who I am. So I know that it's dead on. Okay. I know that your assessment of that is dead on. So if you're one of those people that meets, meets that criteria, what do they got to do to, to, because in early my sales career, and just, this is just me kind of, talking to you is like, I was like, man, why didn't I sell airplanes? Because obviously I was going to be good at what other, whatever I sold. Yeah. Cause it translates, as you know, like you're not like, mm -hmm. if you're good at sales and you meet those criteria, like you should sell the thing that makes you the most money possible that you enjoy doing. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. I mean, I think so. If you're a new salesperson, I, I think you need to, um, you need to figure out what industry you want to work in. And I think the way you go about doing that is by networking and adding value and ask, you're going to have to ask a lot of people and get a lot of no's because a lot of people are not going to be willing to like, and not necessarily finding a mentor. I think that can be great to get a mentor before you're ready uh, or before you're in the job. But I think that means you need to reach out to people and say, Hey, look, I'm interested in your field. I know nothing about it. You know, do your research, go on Glassdoor, do all that stuff. But you know, if you're interested in tech sales, you can go to RepView, R-E-P-V-U-E, which actually lists tech salaries and it actually lists companies and you can see the actual compensation for companies for the role that you'd qualify for. Um, but I think you need to figure out what you want to do because certain industries and sales make a lot more. You also need to know, do you want to deal with consumers or do you want to deal with businesses? Businesses have bigger budgets, therefore you typically can make more money selling B2B. Typically, not always. You can make a lot of money selling real estate in, to the consumer market. Um, and then I would say the next thing is, is you need to, you need to start practicing your craft. I, I think reading books, um, there's a lot of free courses out there on how to get into tech sales or how to get into more sales than, in more general. Than ever. More than ever. I mean, you could spend days on YouTube and there are channels. I've got a channel. There's a channel called like tech sales careers, check course careers. I mean, there's real estate stuff. How, I mean, how do they, how do they find you and your content? Yeah. So, uh, at Eric Fisher official is my handle for Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, um, LinkedIn. I'm Eric Jason Fisher. You can look me up there. Um, and then my website's listed, which would take you to any of my, um, uh, services, coaching programs. Um, but I think from there, you know, you're going to have to find a job. And my best advice I would say is find a job that has a good company, a good comp plan, really good tenure of employees, meaning people stay there a long time. And then the third thing would be, um, you need to start out your career doing prospecting, meaning you're probably going to have to take a job as an SDR, which is an inside sales rep that your entire purpose is to book appointments, period. And the reason that's important is because you need to learn how to handle resistance, objections, and get your teeth kicked in a lot. If you don't, called, what is that position called, Eric? It's either an SDR or BDR, so it's a software or a, excuse me, sales development representative or a business development representative. 
a lot of, again, that exists in high ticket sales. They're, they're called setters in high ticket sales. Um, but for like software sales or, or IT sales, some companies have them, some don't. So like in my business, I don't have an inside sales rep. So any meeting that I book that is booked, I am the one. I'm considered a full cycle account executive, meaning I handle prospecting through closing. Yeah, that's what I a lot of, Yeah, Right, but a lot of software companies have SDRs. So there's an entire inside sales team and their job is to book meetings, prospect and book meetings for the account executive who then takes the discovery call and sees it all the way through a closed deal. Yeah, I think I think learning how to prospect is super important because if you know how to prospect and build pipeline, you'll never go hungry. One of my one of my uh, favorite guys, um, I've never met him, but I've messaged him on on LinkedIn and, and uh, Instagram a number of times. John Barrows, he's like kind of one of the the OGs, if you will, on I think on current times for LinkedIn uh, for B two B sales, specifically SaaS sales. He says that all the time. If you know how to generate pipeline, you'll never go hungry. You'll always have a job. John Barrows. Yep, John Barrows, B A R R O W S. Really, another good-looking bald guy. He's based out of Boston. He runs uh, JB. How many there of this? How many of there are? There? Right. Yeah. So he, he runs uh, uh, JB Sales, um, which is his sale. He does like corporate training. He trains Salesforce.com's uh, sales team. Um, but he says the same thing. And I just think that like if you can't generate your own pipeline of business. And you're like, that's a lot of what I see with reps that come into my program is they don't know how to generate pipeline. Yeah, I think that's key in anything, especially in real estate. We always tell people you got to become a deal finder, which is basically a prospector. Um, yeah. Eric, I, I really have enjoyed speaking with you. Um, I wanted to share with you, like I always try to provide value and I always try to think about what people's circumstances is and, you know, what I can do. Uh, to to maybe help them in the future or, or immediately. And I know based on what you told me that you're paying massive amounts of taxes uh, because of your, because of your job. Like, like you just talked about like your, your goal is to understand what the other person might be going through. Right. And I know because I remember my best year as a sales guy, 24 uh, years old, fresh out of college or 25, something like that. Made two, I made first year, I made 64,000. Second year, I made 214, and I paid $82,000 in taxes when I made uh, 214 or whatever it was, $1,000. And now, being my skill set as real estate, I can teach people how to keep their sales gigs and generate massive income and then not have to pay those taxes. And so, like, if you ever want to just jump on a call with me just offline here and talk about that, like just as me helping you out, like the, if I would have known that when I was selling, you know what I mean? I would have been able to, to do a lot more to yeah. offset the taxes because the, when, when I look at it, how much money you make as a sales rep is awesome. But then you get you, you, you at the end of the year, you got this partner, Uncle Sam, who's like Takes oh, half of it. But if you add investing real estate in that, like you can eliminate that, eliminate yeah. that. So it's yeah, no, I'd love, I would love to take you up on that offer. And I appreciate that. And I think, yeah, for everybody who's listening, watching this, like that's a good tip is like, that's knowledge of take something, you know, add value. Um, I think one other thing I just want to mention too, just because this is, I think, important for everybody to understand business to business or B2C, two things. One, um, you need to think about withdraws and deposits. Uh, I forget who I heard this from, but it's a really good tip. Withdraw would be you're asking somebody for time. 
you're asking them for information, whether it's an opt-in or if you're reaching out to them to prospect to set a meeting to 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 try to um, talk to them about your product or service, understand their problems. You need every all of us need to be okay with de- making a deposit, meaning give them something. So if you're going to reach out to somebody eight, twelve times, what are you giving them to help them, or are you only asking them for their time? So that would be the number one: is make sure your deposits and withdrawals are not so offset because most reps just withdraw, withdraw, withdraw. Can I? Can we meet? Can we meet? Can yeah. we meet? It's like yeah. you're not giving them anything. Second thing would be, um, and this is, I would say, I didn't really focus on this until the last four or five years, and I would say even more so the last three to four years, is, and I think this applies to everybody, but you're going to have to take it into context if you sell B2C, but it's the cost of an action that is more important than ROI. So oftentimes what I was trained on is focus on ROI, return on investment. Yeah. But COI, cost of an action, meaning the consequence, if they don't choose, if, not necessarily choose your product, but if they don't solve their problem or hit their goal, what does that cost them? What do they lose? Could be brand reputation. It could be their dreams. It could be, it could be um, they're going to lose out on a tax benefit. They might have a financial penalty, like whatever it is. There's a million of them. That is what you need to get to because the number one question I get on our sales calls for the people in my program is, is how do I drive urgency? And it's never going to be ROI. It's always going to be the consequence or cost of inaction. Fear and greed are the two largest motivators. That's exactly what he said. Fear of missing out, fear of losing, fear of something. That's going to make people take action. Eric, I appreciate you coming on the program. I appreciate you sharing so much knowledge. I really feel like uh, we have a lot in common. I think everything that you spoke about is something that I related to as a salesperson, like chip on the shoulder, um, having something to prove, wanting money because I grew up poor, all of that stuff, not being good at sports, but wanting to compete, you know, all of that stuff is what sales is all about. And the cool thing is you don't have to have any strong athletic ability. You know, you just got to <laughs> want it more than everybody else. So I appreciate That's right. you coming on the program. Tell us again, where can they follow you? What's the name of your program? I believe it was Elevate Sales with Eric Fisher. Yeah, so it's uh, my handle for Instagram, uh, TikTok, YouTube is at Eric Fisher Official. So at E-R-I-K Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R Official. Um, my website is uh, www.elevatesalestraining.io. Um, and then my, my sales coaching program is for B2B sales reps. That's uh, Elevate Sales Academy. Um, and you can find that on my website. I highly suggest you take it. He knows his stuff. Uh, that's coming from somebody who is a sales guy. And I still study. I still listen to Tom Hopkins, Zig Ziglar, Brian Buffini, all the guys. I'm still trying to master the craft. And funny, funny thing is, I listened to Tom Hopkins' book the other day, The Art of Selling, and he's like, you know, if you ever think you're at the top of your game and you're not trying to get better, you're not. You're going to find out really quickly. So it was a pleasure to have you on. I appreciate you guys. Make sure you subscribe, follow Eric, and give this podcast a five-star review. That's how we grow. The more people that know about it, the more people that you share it with, the more great guests like Eric we're able to bring on the podcast. Talk to you in the next one. Peace. Have you ever wanted to start investing in real estate, but you just don't have the time, you don't have the ability to get started, but you got the capital, right? And you want all of the advantages that the capital offers you. Well, I started a fund and you can invest with me and my team. In fact, I'm in one of the buildings that I bought using my own money 
but you could invest and actually get the benefits of investing with me and my team. Well, you gotta be an accredited investor and you've got to go to our website. I'll include the link in our bio and you could start investing with us. It's super cool. We're gonna do a lot of cool projects in Kansas City and around the country and you'll be able to be a part of it. Make sure you give this podcast a five-star review, share it with a friend and take action.